Welcome to episode 81 of All About Fitness. On this episode, it's my first time having a three-peat guest. This is Fabio Camano's third time joining me on All About Fitness, and I love having him on. I love having him as a guest. Number one, because he's been a mentor to me. I mean, I've worked with Fabio on and off for the better part of the last 10 years, for a decade. And I really, when I went to work at the American Council on Exercise, it was to work with Fabio. Until I had met Fabio, and I'd always, I'd, I had actually taught another personal training certification. And, and to be 100% honest, I kind of um, didn't really pay much attention to what ACE was doing. To me, it was always just kind of like a, uh, you know, a beginner training wheel certification. But when I met Fabio, I was really impressed by his depth of knowledge. I was impressed by his passion for education. And I really, you know, was impressed by what he wanted to do in terms of education. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to work with him at the American Council on Exercise. So while at ACE, Fabio and I, along with Todd Galati and Jessica Matthews, you know, a couple other people, we helped develop the ACE Integrated Fitness Training Model. Now, this is just a model program design, how we apply the variables of exercise program design to make changes to the body. And it's based on a lot of science. And what Fabio did a great job of in building the model was he really brought in the concept that we should be training based on metabolism, how our body's metabolic system, which is how our body produces energy, should guide our intensity for cardiovascular exercise. Until then, we were telling people 220 minus your age, boom, that's it. But Fabio pointed out there's a lot of standard deviations in there, and we're much better off looking at metabolic rate, meaning how your body consumes fats, how your body consumes carbohydrates for, for energy. And you can do that by using the talk test. You know, as soon as you get out of breath and exercise, you're no longer using fat as your primary fuel substrate. You know, when you get out of breath, you're going to be using more carbohydrate and you're breathing quicker because you need more oxygen and you're also trying to expire more CO2. Anyway, that's not the point of, that's not the point of today's podcast, but I wanted to give you an idea of, of how in-depth Fabio's knowledge is and, and how he looks to apply the science to practical information. So in this episode of All About Fitness, I speak with Fabio Camano about what really makes changes in our body. For the past few episodes, I've had different specialists and researchers in the area of exercise science talking about different aspects of how our body adapts to fitness. But on today's episode, Fabio and I talk about what really drives change in the body. The system that really creates change in the body is the endocrine system. The endocrine system produces all the hormones, which are chemicals that affect all the tissues in our body. Fabio explains what hormones are, and most importantly, talks about the different hormones that are affected by exercise and the results they produce in the body. After a brief word from the sponsors of All About Fitness, it's my honor to sit down and discuss the endocrine system and the hormones affected by exercise with Professor Fabio Camana of San Diego State University. You enjoy exercise. You actually have fun working out. Are you aware that physically active individuals like yourself have a lower risk of developing a chronic disease when compared to sedentary, inactive adults? All About Fitness is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance agency that helps physically active, health-conscious adults like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. Being a good driver saves you money on car insurance. Now with Health IQ, your active lifestyle can help you save money on the cost of life insurance. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that recognizes the fact that you make your health a priority and rewards it with a more affordable coverage plan. Go to healthiq.com AAF 
to support the show and see if you qualify for Health IQ's exclusive rates. No one ever plans to fail. They simply fail to plan. Don't let your passing fail your family by leaving them financially unavailable to overcome life's challenges. Go to healthiq.com slash AAF and take a quiz to find out how you can start saving on life insurance today. What is part bench, part balance trainer, part stability ball, part jump box, and all results? The TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Specially designed to help enhance balance, strength, agility, and metabolic conditioning, the TerraCore is quickly becoming the go-to piece of workout equipment used by fitness professionals around the world. Whether you're training to earn that eight-figure contract or just trying to get in better shape, the TerraCore will help you achieve results you never thought possible. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness, the shape of things to come. Go to www.vicorefitness.com and use code AAF, that's all about fitness, AAF, to save 20% on the purchase of a TerraCore. I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness, and today, Fabio, I want to congratulate you. You are my first, uh, third-time returning guest in All About Fitness, um, but today I'm on the line with uh, Professor Fabio Camana of San Diego State University. Can you give us, uh, besides uh, being a professor, Fab, what else are you doing uh, in the fitness industry right now? Well, Pete, uh, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on your show again. Always, uh, always a privilege to kind of sit there and talk with you. Uh, you know, I kind of got my hands in quite a few cookie jars, probably too many than I should, but uh uh, you know, obviously, apart from being involved with the university, also involved with NASM, uh, you know, obviously, and then science advisor for Orange Theory, uh, master instructor with, uh, you know, core health and fitness. And then I, you know, kind of consulting, whether it's in a capacity of a, of a science advisor or an educational developer with several other companies. Uh, you probably a few of them, Strooks, Turbo Strap, things of that nature. So kind of embedded in the fitness industry. And then obviously, like you do, spend a lot of time traveling, doing, you know, fitness conferences and, you know, workshops and stuff like that. Well, and I, one of the reasons why, Fabio, I mean, of course, you and I are friends, but one of the reasons why I like having you on, and this is for listeners, that is very likely, and I mean this sincerely, it's very likely that if anybody listening is working with a trainer or has, you know, working with a regular instructor, that that person has somehow been influenced by your work. I mean, you've been doing education, fitness industry-specific education now for the better part of almost two decades, Correct. Great. You're just telling people how old I am. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> well, no, you started in <laughs> no, the no, no. sixth grade. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're correct. Yeah, that's right. But no, I mean, but and so I think it's important. What I want to do and what I'm trying to do with the podcast is give people a peek behind the curtain about why some of their favorite programs may work or kind of the, the you know, look behind of what makes things happen. So as I wow. mentioned earlier, what I want to talk to you today about is hormones. Why, you know, in your opinion, what role do hormones play in the results we get from exercise? Oh, Pete, it's huge. I mean, think about it. You know, all these adaptations that we're looking for, you know, whether it's burning more calories, building muscle mass, burning fat, maybe, you know, everyone loves to hear about spot reduction, although we haven't found that holy grail yet. But, you know, a lot of these processes in the body are regulated, you know, obviously through a series of internal mechanisms, but there has to be a communication system that, sets this process in motion. And that's where our nervous system and our hormonal system come in because, in essence, 
They're kind of like a one-two punch. The way I explain it is in your nervous system, think of the stress of exercise. You know, the body's response is initiated by the nervous system. We call it our sympathetic response. That's the fight-or-flight response. But the nervous system is very rapid-acting, but it's very energy-inefficient, and it's very localized. In other words, the nerve travels from point A to point B. But what the nervous system can do is activate its complement, the hormonal system, which can continue that communication of fight-or-flight. And the beauty of the hormonal system is once you put a hormone into circulation, it can stay in circulation for a longer period of time. It's more energy-efficient. And it has more of a generalized effect. So rather than going from point A to point B, a hormone can basically, in circulation, can be distributed to multiple destinations. And that's why hormones just have one effect. Hormones have multiple effects on the body. And that's what we need. When we go to fight or fight response or we restore homeostasis post-exercise, it's multiple systems undergoing some form of chain, change or return that has to be coordinated by communication systems. And that's where the hormones really play their role. So, because I think many people know that in the first, and, and again, there's a consumer audience, I think most people um, are probably aware that the initial strength gains they make are from the nervous system being more active. Is that, I mean, what, what's going on in the, like, if somebody starts a strength training program, kind of let's walk through what's happening initially with the nervous system, and then at what point, because I know there's been some debate on, on the hormone hypothesis, but initial gains are primarily driven by the nervous system. And then what role does, in the long term, do the hormones play a greater role? Does the endocrine play a greater role in the, in the long-term adaptation process? Sure. You know, so you're absolutely right. I mean, the first thing to think about is you're talking about muscle. You know, you're spending your day right now going through an undulating effect of muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown. So we are constantly building and breaking down. And if you look at your day Generally, you see more muscle protein building happening after you eat. So in the hours following a meal, when you introduce protein into the body, the body will go into more of a building stage. We call it positive nitrogen balance. And then after a few hours, you've kind of gobbled up those proteins, and then your body goes into a bit of a breakout. So we're kind of undulating all day long. So but when it comes to weight training, what we have is this goal of saying, hey, I want to build additional muscle. I'm not just kind of going through the status quo of up and down, up and down. I'm going to kind of take my trend and start going upwards. So that needs kind of a whole hormonal cascade. In other words, we need to start, you know, triggering certain changes. And you're absolutely right. The, you know, the initial gains you might see in weeks one after that muscle soreness, maybe week, week one, latter part of week one into two and three, are predominantly through the neural system. It's just the nervous system becoming more efficient because it's a very rapid-acting, you know, system. So it responds very quickly. And then you'll notice... That, that kind of gain starts to, that this initial impressive gain kind of peak. And then it's kind of like that slow, hopefully, trek upwards. And that usually starts around week three to five. And that's really where, you know, you've provided the stimulus. So a consistent mechanical stimulus like, you know, load, sets, rest, time under tension. And, of course, there's a complement of nutrition and recovery and everything going with it. And that's kind of starting to shift this whole paradigm of, Yes, we're building and breaking down, we're building and breaking down, but now with the hormonal influences, and it's not just the hormones, it's how the hormones bind to receptors, kind of like a key goes into a lock. We start seeing more efficiency in that system. In other words, receptors become upgraded, and they respond more effectively to the hormones that we have. So we don't necessarily need more hormones, we just get more of an effect, kind of more bang for your buck with the well, hormones then, that we have. If, if I can pause just one second and ask you a oh. question about the receptors, because it's my yes, yeah, my understanding that the receptors are key, and so the body, as the body, and we have to remember that exercise is stress, and so once the body receives a stressor, its initial response is the hormone production, and then it, then it's going to produce more receptors, and in, and it's the receptors that are key to kind of the, the change that hormones make on the tissue. 
Is that is that the uh, kind of the accurate way of looking at it? Yeah, that's certainly one of them. You know, so definitely we can increase the. So, you know, we talk about upregulation of receptors, and that just means the receptors are going to work more effectively, and that could be an increase in the density of receptors. But really, what it is, it's an improvement in the efficiency of how the receptors work. It's kind of like you know, think of having a lock, and the lock is kind of haven't been used in a while, and it's kind of gunked up, and it's a little corroded. And if we start taking keys and we kind of put it in and out, maybe we're kind of scrubbing out all the gunk out of that lock. And that lock starts to work more efficiently. So now the key turns in that lock more, you know, more easily. So that's kind of what upregulation is. That a receptor can do more, right, with a certain, the same amount of hormones. So this whole sensitivity is we get just, you may see some elevated levels of hormones, but that's not necessarily always the case. You might see an increase in the density of receptors, not as we have more, but you might even see an improvement in the efficiency of how the receptors work. And that's generally the term we call it up and down regulation of the receptors. And this is happening all the time. I mean, a great example is look at insulin. You know, someone who's a type 2 diabetic, you know, their problem is not the production of insulin, it's the receptors recognizing insulin. So when they start exercising, especially, you know, we've seen it now through various forms of exercise, not just cardio, but weight training. Those receptors upregulate, in other words, they become more sensitized to the effects of insulin. So in other words, they start doing their job, and that helps the diabetic manage his or her condition. And then when you stop the training, those, regulate, those receptors downregulate, they become desensitized again. And so that's kind of how these, how that kind of that hormone and receptor complex, think of the lock and key, how that, 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 um, that situation works. Now, and what are the, you mentioned insulin, but what are some of the primary hormones that are affected by exercise? And let's look at the anabolic hormones first, and then we'll talk about a couple of catabolic um, ones. And, sure. And, and we'll, you know, because then we'll finish up a little kind of, how do we stay in an anabolic state for muscle growth, and then how do we kind of create a catabolic state if we're trying to break down and, and trying to influence the policy? So I think to help understand this, we've got to go through the whole process of what we call exercise adaptation, because exercise in itself is kind of a catabolic event, right? And we need that because what we get afterward is the adaptation phase, which puts us into kind of a super, you know, anabolic response. So it's almost like we have to do, you know, you take that step backwards in order to take two steps forward. So we have to provide the stimulus. So the easy way that I explain this when I'm talking to my students, I say, okay, kind of draw a circle and, you know, make it a pie chart. So you've got a whole bunch of little slices of the pie. And let's call that your, your all the money you have in a month. And you have to allocate that money to various different things, like your rent or your mortgage, your car payment, utilities, food, your cell phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got this nice balanced pie. But let's say now you get into a car accident. And in your car accident, they suddenly get hit with a $2,000 tab, right? And now you've got to find $2,000 in the money you have. You don't have a bigger pie. Your pie is still the same. What you have to do is you have to borrow from the other areas just temporarily to pay that extra $2,000. Well, now think of exercise. When we go to exercise, you need certain systems to ramp up, like cardiopulmonary, thermoregulation, mobilization of fuels. You know, your immune system upregulates during a fight or flight because remember, your body doesn't know the difference between a workout and a bacterial infection. It's a stressor. Hmm. And so you're allocating resources. So if we are up, you know, committing more resources to certain things, we have to take from other things. Well, think about the things you don't need during a fight or flight response. What you don't need is digestion and absorption. That's why you get dry mouth. That's why you can't eat as much during exercise. You shut that down. You don't need reproduction. You don't need growth. So we shut those down temporarily. In the meantime, what we do is we ramp things up. So David, why does a dog pee when it's scared? It's because if you're going to run for your life and you had a pound of fluid sitting in your blood, it's just going to slow you down. So getting rid of that would help you run faster. I don't know. I've seen Fabio. Yeah. 
people, but that's why some people run to the bathroom before they work out, right? And so this is simply the allocation of resources. Now, you know, that's a, it, temporarily, it seems like, well, that wouldn't be a good thing, but for a temporary, you know, moment, like an hour, two hours, or three hours, whatever your exercise is, that's actually not a bad thing. But then we go into what we call the recovery, and that's where homeostasis restores. So all those hormones that were involved in shutting down those things, they are now released back into circulation, and those hormones that were released to try and reallocate those resources, like epinephrine, that now gradually get reabsorbed out of circulations. And then what happens is, you know, on top of that, with the mechanical stimulus and the, the, the stimulus that you provided during the workout by doing some muscle damage, creating some metabolic stress, you're also producing the elevation of certain hormones to a higher level than normal, and that's creating that adaptation. So it's not just catabolic, anabolic. It's restoration of homeostasis coupled with a little bit of stimulus to get some adaptation. And that's really what the kind of the pathway we follow. That's what we call an exercise adaptation syndrome. And kind of in that adaptation is restoration or recovery. And that's such a critical part in the hormones. And, and, and that's where... Kind of, yeah, that's a, that's a, I mean, I don't think what people understand is that basically... That usually takes you about, what, a semester to teach to your students? I mean, you walk in a very easy-to-understand way pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, and so I, you know, I could basically, what I'll do when I'm typically teaching this, I take them through, you know, that little pie chart that I showed you, and then I'll talk about, okay, guys, so this is what we want post-exercise, but now the one thing that most of us don't think about is, you know, stress ordinarily is not going to kill us. Stress is a very good thing for the human body in moderation because that's what helps us survive as a species. Think about it. Darwin said survival of the fittest. When a species is exposed to a stressor, it either perishes or it adapts. It's a simple biological uh, fact. And so we are very resilient as a species because we're constantly adapting to the stresses like our environment. And so stress ordinary in moderation is a good thing. But what the body needs after stress is a period of recovery. And for you and I, what recovery means to the exerciser is not only to recover, to return you to homeostasis or your baseline, but to also enable some adaptation. And that's the problem that I'm not getting because what a lot of people dissociate is they think the exercise stress on the body is very different from your relationship stress and your work stress and your financial stress. Your body doesn't know the difference. Think of it this way. You go to the gym, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, you sweat. You go to work and your boss calls you and is about to fire you. Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, you sweat. You get into a big argument with your significant other, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, you sweat. These are just purely fight-or-flight responses. Your body, the stimulus might be different, but the physiological response is the same. And we've changed the game. We now have introduced a completely different set of stresses into our body, and the reality is they don't go away. It's your commute, it's your boss, it's your job, it's your finances, it's your relationship with your kids. And so what's killing us is really the inability to recover. And that's what's killing our exercise programs. You know, we're training hard to adapt. But if you don't allow yourself the recovery, if you don't manage that other stress in your life, your body is not recovering, so the hormones are not restoring themselves, and you're not getting that adaptive spike that we're looking for, for some of those, from some of those anabolic hormones. So we cannot look at exercise without looking at the proper restoration of homeostasis plus time to adapt. So if with high-intensity exercise, and we have a, we have a podcast we already recorded on this. Um, I'll have to post uh, what number it is. I think it's like number five or six. But oh. when we have high-intensity exercise, that's a major stressor. So how many times a week... We don't need to go into all the specifics, but how many times a week should people try to limit high-intensity exercise too? You know, when people are your, you know, our age, so we're not quite old yet, but we're getting them. So, you know, I look at Gen Xs, and I know that's a that's a, a group that you and I are very interested in. 
you know, when I talk to Jen, I says, you know, they shouldn't be doing this training, you know, two times a week, maybe three times at most. But, you know, it's hard to say because I need to know what you're doing outside of your workouts because if you have a stressful life outside of it, then that two to three times might also be too much. But if I'm to make a general blanket statement, I would say two to three times a week is probably what would probably be the threshold. Now, if you're 25 years old and you don't have much stress in your life, yeah, you could probably handle four to five times a week. I wouldn't say indefinitely. We all need time to recover from stress. But I think the picture that your listeners have to take away is that you have to look at all stresses in your life. And you know what? This is why we have to undulate our exercises. And we're doing this now on a daily basis when we're starting to look at how well have you recovered in the morning. So you, I know you've talked on things like heart rate variability and things of that nature. These are the new tools that we're starting to use to gauge where are you first thing in the morning. Because if you haven't been working, maybe today's a yoga day. Because if you're stressed today and I add more compounded with more stress, you're going to be worse off tomorrow. And that's your immune system being compromised. That's the risk of illness and injury. And we all know this is chronic overuse. So I would say start with a gauge. Two to three times a week for most people would be adequate. But then gauge your body. If you're not feeling recovered, if you didn't feel rest, rested after you woke up from a night's sleep, if you're, if you're measuring your resting heart rate and it's a little higher than normal today, you know, or showing a pattern where it stays elevated for a few days, or if you have the technology that's showing you heart rate variability and it's not, it's kind of coming up with a red flag, then you might need to drop down your, your hit workouts or you might need longer days to recover. You know, we have to be very fluid now because I can't control the stress outside of your exercise. That is your life. But you have to be responsive. And the analogy I always give people is think of a check engine light in your car. The check engine light has a very significant purpose in the car. It warns you that something is not right. Well, we don't have that in the human body. Generally, we're hurt by the time our check engine light goes on. So we need to start being proactive and listening to our body. And one of the things that's a great way to listen to is, are you recovering from all the stress of what you're doing, including your workouts? And if you're not, and we have these tools to kind of give us some sort of measurement, then listen to your body and take an offload day or a deload day. It doesn't mean you don't exercise. You can just go do something different, something at a lower volume, lower intensity, or maybe you do take a day off. These are the things we have to do, and that would be the smartest thing. So training hard certainly will not trump training smart. And that's why, I mean, you you did a, a brilliant job of breaking it down, as I knew you would, and, and that's why, I, I, you know, you're the right person to ask about this, because nobody that I've seen, Fabio, in, in, the, in the years I've been working in the gym, nobody comes into the gym today saying, either I want to work train my hormones today, or yeah. nobody comes into the gym today saying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make myself hurt, or I'm trying to you know, keep myself from seeing gains. Yet I, my fear is, and I see this all the time, people feel they have to exercise hard every time they exercise. When in reality, sometimes, and, and the way you broke it down is brilliant, when in reality, sometimes just a low intensity, just go in and move. You don't need to pick up a weight, just move. Yeah. Do Tai Chi, yeah. do yoga, do a Zumba class, just move for an hour to get your body moving. You don't need, you know, people don't need to crush it all the time in order to get the long-term benefits from exercise. Now, and let's I think, I'm sorry, you're absolutely right. I just want to add, we'll piggyback one point on that. And that's really because, unfortunately, this mindset of we're chasing this pursuit of the mighty calorie. We believe if I go to the gym and I train hard, I burn more calories and helps me lose weight. All you've got to do is look at the research that's coming out. For most of the population, the calories we burn in exercise are just not adequate or sufficient to result in significant weight loss. It's what you're doing outside of the gym. The other 17 hours of the day is where you'll make the biggest difference. So we should make exercise about the experience. We should make exercise about getting those positive hormonal adaptations. We shouldn't make exercise about killing me. 
to try and burn 50 more calories because at the end of the day, you're going to be worse off. If we shift our mindset, though, is if we train the way we think to think about, you know, if I make exercise more experiential and I focus on exercise being nothing but beneficial for me, coming to the things you were alluding to, and then I worry about getting those extra calories outside of my workout, we'd be so much better off as a population. And I think that's just the mindset. And it's been interesting. I've been having an ongoing conversation uh, with, with a couple other people in our field about, um, you know, there's been some stuff in the industry about body shaming and body shaming among um, among some, some presenters. And, you know, this is funny because you know me, Bob. I'm not, you know, your nickname for me is Happy Buddha. <laughs> you know, for people, you know, for listeners, um, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if I wouldn't consider myself full figured, but I'm definitely, would you agree, Fabio? I'm probably husky. Yeah, no, but you're, you know, but you're a healthy husky. I, and that's just it is, is I work when, when I exercise and I look at fitness, personally, I look at fitness as the experience. I don't oh. want to sit there and I'm not trying to worry about an outcome. You know, I, I, I drive a minivan. I have two kids. I'm not worried about, you know, I don't need beach muscles anymore. I, I look at it personally. I've reshifted my focus to look at it, just exercise being fun. And I look at, you know, my time in the gym or my time I went mountain biking today. My time exercise is my playtime. It's my adult playtime. Do you think it's mm-hmm. important? I mean, do you think it's important that people kind of reshift their focus? And, and how much of, you know, I just kind of, I know I do that, but that, but I know a lot of the same stuff you do. How important do you think, how, how much better do you think people would be if they shifted their focus away from trying to achieve some sort of appearance or aesthetic goal and made it more just about having fun through movement? Absolutely. And I think, I think what you're touching on has such relevance with the Gen X population group because you look at this population, think of how we grew up. We grew up with nothing, no other mentality other than go hard or go home. That's all we knew. High impact aerobics. It was all about aesthetics. You know, you had to look good. You had to have the beach muscles, like you said. We didn't know much about the body, and we just trained hard. And now look at us. We're 20 years down the road, and we're all broken. But the thing is, we're also undergoing a lot of hormonal changes. You think of the testosterone level in a male who's 45 to 50. His level of, of free t- of testosterone is half of what a 25-year-old is. You look at a woman who's going through those stages of her life. So she's going through perimenopause into menopause. Her levels of estradiol, which is the biologically active form of estrogen, is dropping. You know, and so she's making some other, you know, she's making some estrogen, but now it's estrone, which is less biologically active. And if you look at what those hormones do in a healthy male, good amounts of free testosterone keeps that out of his midsection, as does estrogen in a woman. So what's happening to both that male in his 40s, late 40s, female going through menopause, is we start to see this body shape change where we're starting to get more apple shape, right? We're starting to see more abdominal fat. So what does it do? It creates a sense of panic. Oh my God, what's happening? I need to do what? I need to diet. I need to exercise harder. So we just go into the gym and kill ourselves. And we starve ourselves. And we do all these obsessive things. And you're absolutely right. We should start embracing the reality. The body is going through changes. The body is never going to be what it was when we were 20, right? But you can still be very healthy. So you're absolutely right. We need to focus on... Listen, if I make you obsessed about this, you're going to start to hate it. Why? Because you're going to get hurt. You're going to start to think and feel negatively about what you're doing. But I think you the best. We're, exercise is an experience, experiential solution. And that's what personal trainers bring to the clients, is make exercise enjoyable. Focus on the fact that you know, sometimes we have to help them and we have to accept that there are some changes happening in our body and we can't have that 20-year-old body anymore. I know it's a hard thing, so we're still going to see the PEDs and the, you know, the aesthetic creams and the Botoxes, and that stuff's never going to go away, Gen Xs, because it's hard to embrace that reality. But it comes a point of time where we have to. You have to look yourself in the mirror and realize, my body is not 20 anymore. I have to think about 
what's ahead of me for the next 30 to 40 years, and that's longevity, that's quality of life. And maybe we need to shift our focus to that and then realize that exercise is such a vital part, but make it experiential where, like you said, you enjoy it. It's your adult playtime. And that's ultimately where we have to go because this hormonal change is happening, and unfortunately, it is turning things south, if you want to use that analogy. And, and is it possible for, you, you talk about, and I know that there's something called andropause, where men will produce less testosterone. That's why we see so many commercials on uh, TV for, for testosterone now, especially during, during, during sports stuff, because they're trying, you know, basically they're telling athletes, you can't take testosterone or you get banned, but they're telling guys our age, go ahead and take testosterone all you want. Sure. But is it, can, can people, if they start strength training and start making some, some minor, minor changes to their life, can men in their 40s, 50s, and beyond increase their level of testosterone? Is that possible? Sure it is. You know, obviously, probably not to the same degree as taking a testosterone injection or testosterone or topical cream, but a lot of these supplements that they're advocating are not quite testosterone because it is banned. You can't just sell testosterone over the counter. So we're selling testosterone limiters. And you look at the pathway of cholesterol all the way through to making testosterone, it's a complicated series of steps. And along the way, we see byproducts like DHEA, and we see androstenedione, and these are all intermediate products that go to making testosterone. But the reality is, you know, you could take a supplement that could be say, hey, this is a mimicker, this, this supplement, this natural supplement looks like something that's, you know, halfway down in the pathway. But there's no guarantee because, you know, that same cholesterol molecule makes estrogen. If you think of it, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are all cousins of each other. In fact, the manufacture of, of of testosterone goes through the production of, of progesterone. And in fact, in women, testosterone can be converted to estrogen because they're all cousins of each other. So just because you're taking a supplement, if you would say take, you know, 10 grams of a supplement, how much that would translate to testosterone? First of all, probably very little to start with, number one, you know. And number two, you know, there's also what we call bound and pre-testosterone. So when you look at the total testosterone levels, the testosterone that guys are interested in that helps build muscle mass is what we call free testosterone because it can actually move into the cell. Bound testosterone is kind of regulated in the blood. It's kind of bound to a big protein molecule and it has a very, it's unable to get into the muscle cell. So just because you might see an elevation of the testosterone levels doesn't necessarily mean you're going to build more muscle because if it's not free testosterone, you're not going to see that kind of spike in muscle growth. So, you know, the only two ways to get a, you know, testosterone is to somehow reverse aging, which we haven't figured that out. Or to get a true synthetic testosterone shot. Don't have a mimicker to get a testosterone shot, which we know is bad. That's why athletes cheat and they do it. So the thing is, training will give you a little spike. It's going to be a small spike, but it's probably going to be as comparable to all these supplements that are being peddled on the market. So I would say to you, don't waste your money on, you know, taking all these supplements that really have no proven efficacy. Because you might start with 10, but a fraction of that could be converted to testosterone. And you might see that same result with just doing weight training three times a week. So, you know, but again, let's be honest, Pete, taking a pill is a hell of a lot easier than committing the time to go to the gym and lift weights three times a week. So there will always be a market for these people looking for the pill. The gym time is fun time. That's when you get to go and listen to great podcasts and get to go learn things. While you're I agree things. with you. And you make it, you make it about the social experience. Um, that's I just want to keep you curious. That's but let's talk about growth hormone because growth hormone is, is very important. And I'm sure people hear a lot about that especially because a few athletes have gotten in trouble for um, supplementing growth hormone. 
But growth hormone plays an important role in in muscle building, but also in fat breakdown, correct? Sure, correct. Let me me talk a little bit about what the role of this plays. Well, I mean, if you think of the name human growth hormone, so when an adolescent is going through his or her growth spurts, you know, we see massive amounts of human growth hormone because if you think about that hormone is really going to help regulate the entire growth process. We're not just talking about building muscle. We're talking about growth of the skeleton, growth of your organs, growth of everything. And so, yeah, it is very important in building skeletal mass. You know, that's why a teenage boy, once he goes through puberty, he puts on a lot of pounds of muscle, right? He starts to mature into that male physique. And it takes a lot of energy to do that. So human growth hormone really helps burn a ton of fat, right? But once we get to the end of our growth phase, so think about, you know, probably late teens for a lady, maybe early 20s for a man when his growth plates in the long bones close, it usually indicates that he's no longer growing vertically. Well, we still have one other way we can grow, and that goes left and right. Right, <laughs> but so now our levels of growth hormone are relatively small because we don't need to grow. So sure, we have some undulations through the day, you know, like for example, when you're in deep sleep, you go through stage three and stage four. We do see a little bit of a spike of growth hormone, and that's because that's when a lot of repair is taking place, and it does cost energy to do that repair. So growth hormone is wonderful, but we don't see much of it in adults. Now, people will say, well, you know, if you lift weights a certain way, you can see like a twenty to twenty-five fold spike in growth hormone. Now, originally that sounds impressive, but if you phrase it this way, a 25-fold spike of nothing is still relatively nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, so yeah. our levels of human growth hormone that we have in the human body are very small in comparison to an adolescent. And, you know, so that's why a 21-year-old who might as well be growing can, can pack on muscle mass because not only does he have huge amounts of testosterone, he's got huge amounts of, of, of growth hormone too. But as adults, it's harder to put on muscle mass because that's one quintessential hormone that we just don't have much of anymore. Now, the interesting thing about this is also when you look at how growth hormone is regulated, so it's released on the pituitary gland, but it's regulated from two hormones that are released out of the hypothalamus. One of them, somatoclinin, actually helps promote a little release in growth hormone. And another one, somatostatin, actually inhibits the pituitary gland from releasing growth hormone. But here's the problem. If you're stressed... So stress could constitute anything. You're not recovering from the stress. You're not getting good sleep. You're overtraining. You may be starving yourself of calories. You're not getting enough carbs in your diet. These are all construed as stress. Generally, the response we see is an elevation of cortisol. Cortisol is a quintessential stress hormone. And as much as you might hate the hormone, it's very noble in contentions, right? And one thing that cortisol can do is actually interfere in the hypothalamus with the production of those two regulating hormones. In fact, what um, cortisol can do is actually produce more somatostatin, which will actually inhibit the production of growth hormone. So here you are going to the gym, trying to get a little bit of a spike of growth hormone, but what you're forgetting is if you're living a stressed life, you shut off that pathway. So you'd be better served regulating your stress levels and managing that stress and getting the stress level down than you actually would be trying to lift heavy weights. So again, we've got to start to realize, you know, a lot of times we're, you know, we're, we're trying to do these end games like lift weights heavy, thinking we're going to get these spikes of hormones, but there's things that are happening behind the scenes that you're not addressing, and it's just shut off those pathways. So we have to be smart about things. And it's, it's kind of like this hormonal matrix. Everything kind of weaves itself together. And if you start to understand the whole path, and a lot of it comes back to two quintessential hormones, controlling unmerited or unwanted elevations of cortisol. You do want cortisol at times because it's very healthy for the body, but when it's sustained at elevated levels, that's a bad thing. And that ties directly to your stress and how you can avoid and manage and cope with stress. And then the other hormone that we talk about is insulin, because insulin can also have 
some you know consequential effects on how we burn fat and things of that nature. So I tell people, if you can control those two hormones, first and foremost, those are kind of like to me the springboards. You try and bring those two hormones back under control, then you start to find a lot of these other hormones like growth hormone and testosterone and everything start to play their game the way they're supposed to play. That's that, really, to me the kind of the take home point. And is that why sleep is being such a is being um, heralded like sleep and we're starting to see a lot more about breathing techniques, proper breathing techniques. Absolutely. Are those is that why sleep and, and like proper breathing are they seen as kind of like the way to reduce stress levels and re, and kind of help balance out this flux in the body? Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Right? Those are two very important, you know, in a in a whole bag of tools that you could probably have. The ability, you know, focusing on breathing. So we have various ways we can breathe. We have breathing tests that we can do to measure your stress. And we also have the fact that you've got to get your sleep. It's not about the quantity of sleep, it's the quality of sleep. Are you getting restful sleep? Because a lot of people may sleep and this will wake up tired is because they didn't get into the deep sleep, which is really restful. And if you're not sleeping enough and you're breathing kind of very shallow and rapidly, you're stressed. And that's changing that whole hormonal matrix, which means what you're trying to get out of exercise is just not happening. Here's the way I, I, sum up, I summate it. Think about what we're trying to get as an outcome of exercise. I want to do what? Raise my metabolism. I'm going to raise my metabolism and burn more calories. I want to build more muscle mass. I want to lose abdominal fat. I want to burn more fat. I want to control my appetite. These are all the things I'm looking for out of what I call a healthy lifestyle. I call it exercise and maybe some dietary interventions. But if you ignore cortisol, chronic stress, and the effects of cortisol, cortisol will wipe all that away, which means you're just taking, spinning your wheels. You're investing all this time and effort to plan healthier meals and, you know, exercise. But yet, behind the scenes, the other 23 hours of the day, cortisol is just wrecking everything you're trying to do. Which means you're just spinning your wheels going nowhere. We can no longer look at a healthy lifestyle without looking at stress. And that's why medicine and psychology, I mean, look at how some people are coping with stress. They're resorting to violence. That's why medicine and psychology and everyone is taking a closer look at this thing called recovery and managing stress. They're all tied in together. Stress, inflammation, recovery, you can lump them all together. That is becoming the quintessential part of this whole exercise adaptation process. And, and that's, again, I think that's why it comes down to exercise should be about having fun. Because, sure. because I mean, when you, when you look at exercise, when you make, if you go out and play games like with your kids or you take a class, an exercise class that's more play-based, I think, you know, that's going to elevate levels of, of dopamine and serotonin, which are your yeah. feel-good hormones that kind of would totally, you know, in my opinion, would help balance out and counteract any of the negative stress hormones. Yeah. Do you have any questions? Yeah, those neurotransmitters that you talked about, dopamine and serotonin. I mean, they basically, you're absolutely right. I mean, they can be influenced negatively by cortisol and insulin as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, uh, the thing is, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, for a lot of people, exercise is a catharsis. It's a way to release some stress. So we shouldn't be trying to kill ourselves with more stress on exercise. We should look at, okay, let's create this sense of balance. Let's manage to burn out calories somewhere else. You know, the other 17 hours, we'll get some calories out of exercise, but let's not obsess with it. So the idea is, Let's focus on making exercise the fun, the playtime. It is a wonderful complement to any other stress-reducing strategies I can have. And so I, I think you're actually right that people have to shift this mindset that exercise is where I bust myself, burn the calories, and get to any other patient. No. Exercise is just, think of it as the icing on the cake. It has a myriad of benefits, but in terms of those things, it is a stimulus, but it's only a stimulus if you do everything else right around it. And exercise should be burning a few more calories, but it shouldn't be the sole way that you're focusing on burning calories. That should be everything around it. 
So if we just actually look at exercise, it's kind of like, you know, like Jonathan Ross uses the word funtensity. I love that word. It's like, you know, he says, he has that quote where he says, you know, you know, uh, lose yourself in, in gaming and find yourself in fitness. And I think that's such a relevant point because we need to look at exercise from a different perspective. It's something that you want to enjoy doing, so you want to do it more often. But you should also kill yourself that you can't do it or you start to dread doing it. And, you know, we, we, it's hard because we've got to change this mindset because if you look at how we've looked at exercise for the last 30 years, it's been driven as that holy grail for weight loss. It's the, the, it's the sole way to build muscle mass and to transform yourself from flab to fit. But now we start to realize it isn't. The research is out there. It just needs to trickle down into the public space. So think of your podcast where the fitness enthusiasts are listening. Hopefully this message is getting to them and they start to, do reass- they start to reassess and re- recognize that, you know, there needs to be a sense of balance and exercise has its place, but it's one piece of a big machine. It's just one of the moving cogs and then all the cogs can move together efficiently to get the perfect outcome. And see, I think that's, and I appreciate you saying that because that's exactly the message I'm trying to give is that we got to, you know, exercise, yeah, we lose weight, yeah, 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 all that stuff. But you know what? We only got one, one way to do this thing, right? We only got one opportunity at this thing we call life. And it's like, exercise should be about getting most out of life. You know, I've been that mm-hmm. recently, you know me, you call me Papa. You know, your nicknames for me are Happy Buddha and Papa, because mm-hmm. um, you know, I have two young kids. And, and I look at, at, at exercises, it gives me the opportunity to enjoy my kids. You know, I had my kids late. Yeah. And so I'm in my mid-40s, and my kids uh, are, aren't even in elementary school yet. And I want to be able to enjoy them. I don't want to be in my 50s Absolutely. when they're in their teens and, and I'm broken down. I'm, I got to stay, stay active to be able to do that. So what do you got? Yeah. Um, what do you got happening for you? Because uh, I know you're working uh, with a couple different companies. If people want to follow any information, where's the best way they can uh, can you do you blog? Do you write for anybody? Where where can people? Um, you know, so yeah, I do, I, I do. So a lot of what I do is with the university. Obviously, that's my main my main you know my main career sort of uh, commitment right now. Of course, what we do with the university is kind of owned to some degree with the university. So I do I do write articles and I post them on Facebook under my account under my name. And then, you know, obviously I do write and I do speak for ASM and, you know, uh, for the various different companies that I work for. I'm the spokesperson or I'm the educational company developer for them. And then, you know, of course, as you and I do, we travel to conferences. So I'm pretty much, we have a full menu of conferences. So if you look at what I've got, you know, kind of through a year, probably 20 to 30 different fitness conferences, writing articles for different publications. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not kind of, you know, it's like, I don't want to be a one-trick pony, but at the same time, you know, I'm kind of spread myself a little thin <laughs> sometimes, as we all do. But yeah, I think you know, the best place to kind of find me if you wanted to kind of read some of my articles, just start with Facebook because that's the stuff I put out in public. So I use my Facebook just to kind of push articles out there from time to time. And I'll have that there. And I don't want to thank you, Bob, for, uh, for, you know, for your friendship and for what you do. And every time I, you know, because you're one of the hardest working guys I know and one of the smartest guys I know. And it always reminds me, I don't know if you remember that old living color bit from, the, from uh, a few years ago with the Jamaicans. How many jobs you got, Mon? I got twenty-two jobs. <laughs> I kind of, you know, and, and what people don't realize is that you're, you, uh, you're an. I always joke that Fabio is my African American friend because, you know, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Zambia, in Africa, is where I was born and raised. Yeah, he's he grew, he's a Zambian, and he, he uh, immigrated to uh, to uh, America a little yeah. bit later. But I always look at that man. You, you you have an incredible amount of energy and an incredible wealth of knowledge, and and I really appreciate your your sharing this with us today because I think. People don't think about all the stuff that goes on in their body when they exercise, right? I mean, they just think, I exercise, I sweat, I should get this. But they don't realize that our body is a delicate and intricate system. And if there's like one thing today that somebody could do to make their day a little bit healthier, what what do you think, you know, just one little change that somebody listening to this today can make, what would you suggest? Take a moment 
take inventory of your stress in your life and find a way to, to relax and breathe, recover. That's, that's pretty much <laughs> what my purpose is now. I, I'm, I'm becoming a strong advocate on technology of recovery and all that sort of stuff. I really think that's the missing piece. We're training hard. We're breaking ourselves down. I think we need to find ways to recover. So I would say just take inventory of the stress in your life. Take a moment to reflect. Find some solutions, but more importantly, just breathe. Take a moment to relax and recover. Hey, man, that's, that's important advice we could always use. Well, Fabio Kamana, I really appreciate you, man. I, I thank you for your time, and uh, thank you for your contribution to our industry and uh, to the podcast as well. Hey, Pete, you're so welcome, and thank you for the great job you're doing, and hopefully we just keep getting the message out there, and hopefully we can do that. Thank you for make exercise experiential, and we'll be happy. One of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I wanted to try to capture some of the conversations that fitness educators have when we get together. Now, for the number of years Fabio and I have worked together, we've often traveled and spoken to the same conferences. And so sometimes in the evening, we'll be hanging out in the hotel lounge, and we really get into discussions about the recent research. And Fabio, I have no idea how he does it, but Fabio always seems to know all the latest stuff, all the latest science off the top of his head. I really don't think the dude sleeps at all. I mean, besides that, you know, I didn't even ask him about the Marvel Universe because he can really go into detail on all the Marvel characters, whether from the comics or from, from the movies. But I'll probably save that for another podcast. The reason why I want to talk with Fabio about hormones is because whether or not you realize it, the hormones are what's actually responsible for how our body makes changes. Exercise, anytime we apply exercise to the body, we're applying stress to the body. And, and our body produces hormones in response to that stress. So depending on the type of exercise stress you're applying, your body's going to produce different types of hormones. And here's where it gets really important. It's how your body repairs or how your body rests and recovers that will produce the hormones that matter the most. So if you're looking to get strong, you know, if you listen to my interview with Brad Schoenfeld, we talked about muscle growth. If you're looking to get strong and grow muscle, the hormones, testosterone, you know, growth hormone, which is also somatotropin, and IGF, insulin-like growth factors, also called mechanogrowth factors, those hormones are very responsible for muscle growth. Well, guess what? They're produced during the recovery phase after exercise. So if you're really trying to grow muscle, you need to focus on the rest. It's not just the work you do in the gym, but it's what you do outside the gym that can make a big difference. How you're sleeping, you know, the nutrition that you take in, how much rest you give your body in order to give your body a chance to produce new tissue. So hopefully this gives you a little bit different insight into how our body responds to exercise. That's what I've been doing this past series with the different interviews. I had Len Kravitz, you know, Martin Gabala, who's done a lot of research on HIT, Andy Galpin, who understands muscle metab- you know, metabolism on a much deeper level than we've gotten into. You know, I had Brad Schoenfeld speaking about muscle growth. And Fabio, you know, doesn't have a PhD, but he has dual master's degrees in exercise kinesiology and nutrition, and has been teaching at the college level, university level for a number of years. As you can tell, he's extremely knowledgeable. Now, the cool thing about all these recent guests is with the exception of a couple of those them who may have written books, they're not trying to sell you anything. Nobody's trying to push anything on you. I'm not trying to push you anything on you. I'm just trying to give you the best information that you can use to understand how exercise changes you. You know, one of the things I'm going to be talking about this coming year is how exercise gives us freedom. You know, being fit. Understanding how your body adapts to exercise helps you, underst- helps you understand, helps you identify the best types of exercise for your needs. You know, what type of hormones is your body producing in response to the exercise you're doing? You know, how's your, how are your muscles growing? How's your cardiovascular? How's your metabolic system adapting to high-intensity exercise? 
All that's extremely important. That's the information I'm trying to provide to you because I want you to use that to have your best life possible. Being fit gives you freedom. Being fit gives you choices. Being fit gives you options. You know, Marty Gabala talked about going out and playing hockey with some of his mates from university. What I'm saying is fitness gives you the opportunity, gives you the freedom to do what you want to do. Whether that's competing in a bodybuilding show, playing recreational sports, or just being able to walk around the block without being in pain, exercise gives you that freedom. And that's what I'm trying to bring you through this podcast. Anyway, if you're new for all about new to all about fitness, nothing to sell you. I blog frequently for the American Council on Exercise. You can go to Ace Fitness, acefitness.org to check out my blogs and what I've written there. I have a whole um a whole profile there it has all the things I've written for them. I blog and write for 24 hour, um, 24 hour fitness, 24 hour fitness has 24 life magazine. So check that out. A lot of great people also contribute to 24 life. You have Kelly Sturette, uh, LaShawn Dale, who's in charge of content for 24 hour, but they get a lot of great people and you don't have to have a membership to access 24 life magazine. I'll have a link to that down in the show notes. I want to thank you for stopping by. If you find this information valuable, if you find that you're using it in your workout programs to, to give yourself a better life, better quality of life, the only thing I ask from you is to take a moment and give me a quick review. You know how the algorithms work. The better reviews you have, the more reviews you have, the higher up you are in the search bars. Also, if you want to share this with your friends, please feel free. You know, I'm just trying to put a lot of good information out there to help you change your quality of life. There's so many charlatans out there. There's so many people trying to push snake oil that I'm just trying to bring you the people that understand exercise the best to help you understand how to use it in your life. If you have any questions, you can send them to me directly, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. To those of you who've been writing in, writing in with comments and feedback, thank you very much. I'm listening to you, and I'm trying to put them in and, and trying to, to adapt my show to what you want to hear. By the way, I put out all my blogs, whether for myself or for other people, I put out all my blogs on my on my Twitter feed. My Twitter feed is PeteMC underscore fitness. So if you want to follow my blogs, PeteMC underscore fitness on Twitter. And my Instagram is Pete McCall underscore fitness. Thanks for stopping by All About Fitness. and look forward to having you join me for future episodes. <laughs>